Welcome to another episode of Our Inner Voices. I am your host, Noah Deoye, aka DJ Arc Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and with me today is Zach, aka Melo Z. Mm-hmm. Or how would you say it? Melo Z, Melo Z, Z, Melo, Zach. He's Melo. It's all part of it. Now, obviously, uh, <clears throat> when this episode comes out, it would have been a few weeks after my fiasco at the hospital mm. for those who follow me on instagram uh you saw i looked like i was a bit i was dying i mean let's just get into this for a second like so you had food poisoning <laughs> and now I'm you just, want sympathy yeah <laughs> <laughs> bro listen all I, all I can say is like that pain is different source trust me it wasn't fun like we were saying off air, like it's one of them things that you can use as a as a get out of work excuse, but when it happens to you for real, it's a bit different. Oh, I was dancing and like, bro, they thought I was dying. Until you were dancing, I was in pain. Like I, but you know, we find God. I'm here. Mm-hmm. But I did, I did say to, I remember, I, I did say, in the worst moment, I said, "You're God." If you, you know, in my most dramatic moment, I was mm-hmm. like, "Yo, if you keep me." Mm. I'm not changing shit. Damn. I was like, so <laughs> this would be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it gets no better than this. It's like, yeah, this is it. This is if you think I'm gonna come back like some refined really man, like my nah. bad. <laughs> take, I'm staying exactly the same. I was like, take me now, Lord. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is good as it gets. Um so today's topic is uh, actually, the topic title hasn't been decided yet, mm-hmm. but I think the preliminary title is "Can I live?" Can I live? Um, in brackets, and can I love myself in the process? Mm-hmm. Now, "Can I live?" is in is motivated is inspired by um, a Jay Z song from I can't remember what year. Was well, oh, well, reasonable, reasonable doubt? doubt. Yeah, reasonable yeah, doubt. Yeah. yeah. And the reason that type, that song stands out to me a lot mm-hmm. is because. It's asking a very important question. You know, sometimes you feel like the system and society and just your life is trying to fuck you up so badly. You're like, damn, am I allowed to actually exist? Mm. This is cool. Mm. So what we're talking about today is, you know, you how how young people are navigating the, the real world. Mm. You know, obviously, this is the first time a lot of us have actually been in these real-world situations, like mm. whether in professional settings or mm. trying to chase careers, mm. you know, art, etc. Or even on the flip side, trying to navigate, like, complicated relationships with yeah. family, friends, understanding who to let go of and who to keep in your life, you know? 100%. And it feels, you know, it feels everybody, it feels very shaky. It feels like shaky waters at the moment. Mm. So, you know, Zach, what do you have to say just in general about that? I mean, yeah, like I feel like I feel like as as much as we um 
as a new generation might think that our problems and situations we go through are novel like I think one part of it is realizing that it's not but also that we're in different contexts like I've always said I feel like um, the internet has just sped up so much of you know children's development period that it's in a place where it's difficult to really gauge and be like oh well in the 90s it was like this or whatever because it's like this is just a completely different time that we're living in so I feel like in terms of navigating relationships and like just life situations in general like it is it's tough because you know it's not just I feel like we're interconnected but also very separate at the same time and that can be a bit crazy for kids like especially trying to navigate because it's like well everyone's around me and everyone's talking to me but there's also no one to talk to if that makes sense yeah like you know like just what you say about interconnected and yet so so separated Mm. right I noticed this a lot when I was working in secondary schools. Yeah. Um, and the main thing is, like, you come into the secondary schools and uh, all the kids have their phones. All the kids have the mobile phones. Mm-hmm. And let's say, for example, in a class, everybody walks in, first thing they do is they all go on their phones mm. before the teacher comes in. Yeah. Now you're isolated. Mm-hmm. You could push the chair in a bit to make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what I noticed in those settings is a feeling of isolation, like you say, where yeah. everybody is in the same class, physically same space, yeah. but you're only part of the conversation if you're in that specific Snapchat group mm. or the specific Instagram group mm. or people are sending the same jokes and mm. pictures to you. And it's crazy how you can actually sit next to someone, you know this person, but they're not part of that, like, you know, online presence. Mm. So... This human body just, it's just human body just feels like it's just there for decoration. And there's a point to be made that um, we can ask what what is even more important to some people, like this online persona and world that is created, or actually having someone next to you and being able to have a conversation with that person. Um, yeah, like that's that's a whole other thing, but. It's weird, man. It's weird, like, because um, I worked in a school as well for a little bit. And, yeah, like, I hate to talk about it in a way that makes me feel like, oh, back in my day, you know, it was different. Things <laughs> were different. But at the same time, like, like, we were born in, like, the 90s and shit, but it's not... He just feels very, like... A million miles apart, like um, even playing. Like I feel like people don't like play as much as they used to. Like just run about. What do you think about the idea of living my best life? Huh. I mean, when you say living your best life, at the expense of who or what? Ah, uh, is okay. So. Usually when I think living my best life, I think people it's it's more not yeah, it's more of a narcissistic um motivation yeah. where it's like I'm just gonna be very selfish yeah. now. That's that's like what I'm saying because be it's selfish. Like, like 
that's why I said at, the, um, at whose expense because it's like well if you're gonna just be you know the best you which means doing whatever you want when you want how you want then practically you're gonna be infringing on someone else's will to do the same thing and so when that comes into conflict now there's a situation so I don't really buy the whole living my best life thing I personally say because we're community-based animals like that's just how humans are so to live your best life yeah you can do that but I don't know I always think like you said it's a bit narcissistic and it always seems to come with that edge of well if it means me treading on someone else's best life then and so be it then so be it so thing is yeah. thing is I do enjoy that concept a bit though mm. maybe it's the narcissist in me but yeah. I do enjoy the idea of you know waking up every day to feel like you're about to live your best life mm. but you see the problem with it is it's, a lot of times it's fake yeah because I feel like if you're living your best life I don't know living your best life for me invol- includes the difficult parts mm. Because in a way, like my my yardstick, like my way of measuring how 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 happy somebody is, is when you mix the good and the bad in their lives, where are they then? Mm. Not just when there's good. Mm. Because everybody has moments of good. Everybody has, you know, you might have a whole month, even five months where you had good money, you were able to travel, you were able to mm. do all this stuff, and it was blessed. And then on the flip side, you can lose a family member. Yeah. You can go through a breakup. You can lose your job. You can be homeless. But do you think that when the, that when people say, I'm living my best life, they're also including these down moments? Hell that no. Might... Exactly. exactly. Hell no. That's what I'm saying. So it's like the the, the whole idea of living your best life is really predicated upon things being at their optimal best and then you enjoying those things. The second part of this is loving yourself, right? That's why off air I said this would be kind of like a therapy session Mm. for for the both of us because, you know, I'm going through my shit, you're going through your shit, everybody's going through their shit. Mm -hmm. Can I live and can I love myself at the same time? How, How... First of all, let's start with do you do you, let's start with you. Do you love yourself right now? I'm trying to love myself. Like I have to be honest with you. Like when I think about this question, I feel I feel like it's just a continual process. I never feel like I'm in a place where I can say affirmatively, or I've been in a place thus far in my life where I can say affirmatively, yeah, I love myself. 100% unconditionally because it's not I mean for me anyway it's not something that you know I think it's not a goal that you can just reach and stand by I feel like it's a continual like process of learning about yourself and then learning to love those things along the way if that makes sense because the the, the person that I was when I was 18 for example and the person I am now I mean fundamentally I'm kind of the same but there's a lot of things that have changed about me so uh, learning to learn and love in the same kind of uh, breath, I think, is important. 
Okay, now you you made a distinction between the person you are now and when you were eighteen. Yeah. Do you love the person you were when you were eighteen? Yeah, I mean, like you right now, you do you love me your now, eighteen year old them. self? Um, that sounds weird, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. I'm into him. Um, can we go back so we can? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I feel like I feel like, I mean, can I even? remember what I was doing at 18 um yeah like it was I love myself in the sense of I didn't have um self-loathing but I don't know if that means that you love yourself like there's a difference between saying okay well I don't hate this but also saying that I love it it's a bit different and I feel like if you're gonna say that you love yourself I don't know like Let's get into what that actually means. Like, what does it actually mean to really say that you love yourself? Is it to, you know, like we said before, be narcissistic and be selfish? Or is it to be thoughtful? And, or is it a balance of, the, like, who, what is it even? Okay, so I think to, uh, to get, if we want to go deeper into it, mm. in the first instance, we take love. My understanding of love is something that doesn't hurt you. I mean, no, that's not mm. true. Love hurts. Can, nah, can, love hurts. Okay, but... Can, yeah, there's examples. Yeah. But I feel when I say loving yourself, it's like being okay with what with what and who you are mm. in the moment. Mm. So, like, being like, okay, I made a lot of mistakes today, mm. but you know what? That's life. Mm. At least you tried. I feel that's self-love. Mm. As opposed to what you would usually see among people our age group, and nah, not even just our age group, everyone, even seventy-year-olds, you'd see, ah, oh, you're such a shitbag, you're rubbish, you're mm. bad at this. Why have you messed up? Why can't you be better than every? Why you? Which is where narcissism comes from. Mm. That's not love. That's your ego, mm. like wanking itself. <laughs> <laughs> probably need to edit that out it's got a mental image of an ego just yeah your ego's just, just like going out. it's like the hormone man, uh, monster uh, what's it called it's like the hormone monster in, yeah. uh, what's that show called I don't know Big Mouth oh my god no I haven't seen it you should but yeah it's like narcissism is just you narcissism I feel comes from a place of hate mm. of self-loathing yeah so because if you love yourself I feel like you're able to be... You're satisfied. Yeah. Because that's it. You love yourself. Like, it's like your parents. You love your parents, right? Mm. You don't... Sometimes you might look on TV and be like, damn, that dad is cool. Will Smith is really cool. Oh, mm. this person is rich. But you never think, oh, I wish they were my parents. Mm. You're happy with your parents. Mm. Through the good and the bad, you're like, you know what? They're mine. I love them regardless. Mm. That is love. Mm. Do you, that being said, did you love yourself at 18? Yeah. I was happy, but I'm like, I was also in a position where I was, well, I am still, but I'm, I was uh, working towards certain things that required my, I guess, ego to be pushed to the front a bit more because, you know, as a musician, you want to do better. And I'm a person where I'm constantly pursuing that betterment of, myself uh, as a person but also as a artist and a musician and I feel like this idea of self-love sometimes comes into conflict with 
uh, self-betterment. And, and like, it's a tough one to get hold of because if, for example, you're a person who wants to achieve a certain thing and while you're happy with where you are now, you aren't satisfied with where you are now. Yeah. So you're constantly striving towards the next thing in order to get you to that goal that you had uh, set for yourself. Now, I'm asking, do you feel like self-love doesn't allow you to say, okay, you know what, I'm cool with this, but I'm not happy and I want to do better to get more? But the thing is, I feel like in if you looked at it like that, is it would be conflating self-love with complacency. Mm. In the sense that self-love doesn't mean... Loving yourself doesn't mean you're satisfied. Mm. It just means you're comfortable in your own skin. Mm. But if, for example, if I feel like I am the best, the best podcaster in the world and the world just hasn't seen it yet... Which you are. Let's just get that clear. Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, Mom, I'm not Muslim anymore, so don't worry. It's like... <laughs> But <laughs> hey, well, this is news to me. <laughs> what well, I'll tell you off yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, haram things in it. <laughs> but I, I feel like uh, if I feel that way, mm-hmm. and you might feel like I am one of the greatest musicians, musical minds. Yeah. Nobody knows it yet. You, your journey then becomes just building yourself and building your skill. Until you get to a level where you feel like people recognize that. Mm. Or where you feel like, okay, you know what? I've gotten to where I need to be. But you still love yourself. You can still love yourself in the process. You can also hate the shit out of yourself. Because the talent is separate from yourself. Mm. So you could be Kanye West, who is manic most of the time, Mm. but be talented as fuck. Mm. Or you could be Quincy Jones, who is almost 90. One of the greatest talents in music. Mm. And you can tell that man is happy with himself. You can tell he, he looks in the mirror and is like, you know what? I'm but, I'm glad. But having watched the documentary, I've learned that he wasn't... The Quincy one. Yeah, he wasn't always happy with himself because he had that period of time when he was successful, but his family life was just gone to shit. And he felt like he'd sacrifice his uh, career success for his wife and kids and shit. So he's 90 and he's reached a place now where... He's, you know, I mean, maybe just about found that peace of mind and self-love that we're all looking for. And he's had the career that some people will never, ever even come close to achieving. So that just kind of goes to show, like, how much it takes to really get to that place of, like, peace with yourself. Because that's what it's about. I think, like you said before... Uh, being able to find peace with yourself is one of the biggest hallmarks of true self-love because when you're at peace with yourself like none of this stuff really matters like uh, things can change around you but you aren't determined by what changes around you because you're there's a centeredness to you if you get what I'm saying yeah I think when you say there's a centeredness to you how do you mean? so I mean like I have this idea of when you're at peace with yourself that you have a kind of, like, kind of oneness with all the things that you are. Okay. And that oneness, I think you could say, is it, is acceptance, or you could say, 
whole bunch of stuff, but I feel like that is, uh, for me anyway, what I would see as like the kind of end point of a journey of uh, self-love, personally. And I remember earlier we were talking about how young people relate to each other in this yeah. modern age. Yeah. How important is the interaction with other people in your life to achieving like a sense of self-love and satisfaction in your you know massive, you massive. Know, yeah i feel like parents and parenting has such a massive role to play like i know that my parents have always instilled in me this idea that like um i'm deserving of love and given me that love and shown me love and I felt that and I feel like even though I wasn't necessarily consciously aware of you know oh this is uh, this is love Zach you know here it is but because I'm kind of being uh, raised in this environment where it's just around and you feel like it's it's kind of um, it's just a part of you when you get older now and you're kind of out, out of that nest where you have that protection bubble or something, you start to realise that all the all the love that you were given as a child actually gets manifested into the kind of adult that you become and the kind of person that you can be in terms of sharing um, that love with like other people. And you can see, I feel like, you can see when there is love at home and I feel like that is a big factor in the, like in being a person that is able to um, give and receive love more freely as an adult like I agree with you and usually I don't express how I feel mm. when it comes to self-love I personally feel like growing up mm. I hated myself mm. When growing up, I had a very weird childhood, mm. and I feel like that it was it wasn't my parents' fault. I mean, you could always blame parents for some things, but it wasn't really their fault because they were trying to figure it out at the same time. Mm. And I've I always felt like I didn't, I always, I didn't I never I didn't feel like I loved myself. Mm. I always felt bitter, mm. angry. From primary school, I was always in trouble, and the problem is when you live in a country like Nigeria, and as you know, you're you know you're Caribbean, mm-hmm. you know when you live in these countries, they they look at discipline very strongly, yeah, right. And the thing about their discipline is like physical discipline, mental discipline, emotional damage. You know, every time I did something bad, it would be reinforced that I was. A bad person, mm. especially by teachers. Like mm. I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve love. I didn't deserve chances. But I was just a hyperactive kid. I was a big mouth. But in my head, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And it wasn't until I started working in secondary schools here and seeing how the kids behaved and seeing the consequences for their behavior mm. that I started to think something is off. Because I would see some kids here, they would do certain things. Their reaction to them would be 
disappointed, angry, but they would always try to make sure they didn't break them down, mm. like mentally. My upbringing in and my upbringing was different. Not from my parents. Like my parents showed they showered us with with affection. Mm. But then you went to school. The teachers would round on you. They would call you useless. Mm. They would call you, oh, you're never going to be anything. You're not worth anything. Yeah, you know, the teachers always, they would round on you. Mm. And then I went to boarding school. It's kind of military school mm. in a way. It wasn't really, but... And obviously, my parents didn't go out. They didn't know how to handle my behavior. Mm -hmm. Because I think I have ADHD. Mm. I don't know. It's not diagnosed yet. But I, I'm sure I'm too hyperactive to just be... I'm Right now, as we're talking, you can see the table is shaking. My legs mm. <laughs> all over the place. But then you go to boarding school and it it was intensified. It was it went from hate mm. to abuse. And it's something that a lot of kids in these countries deal with. Which I feel stifled. Was that boarding school in Nigeria? Yeah, boarding school in Nigeria. Okay, yeah. I feel like it stifles your growth emotionally especially. Because you see the other kids get praised. Yeah, you see them get praised. You see them get loaded with all these compliments and, you know, you're the best. And then you, uh, at the back of the class, always being beaten, mm. in trouble, mm. shouted at, told nobody loves you, you're a horrible person. Mm. I think there was even one time the students in my hostel, the boys were told that they would be in trouble, they would be beaten mm. if anybody interacted with me. Mm. So, like, I was quarantined. Mm. And everybody was like, yo, man, rough, man, mate, it's, you know, this happens to millions of kids, mm. millions of kids. And that shit made me hate myself, man. Mm. I couldn't speak to girls. I couldn't speak to, I didn't believe in myself. And so it got to a point where I was sabotaging myself. Like I would do something good and I'd be like, but that's good. That's too good. I'm not meant to do that. So I would fuck it up. You know, and it you know on it wasn't until I saw those kids and and how I saw how they treated the kids in English schools that I realized that damn something is off with my with me something is wrong with me. Um, even this podcast, you know how many people have told me, oh your podcast is good, you do it. Like when I stopped doing it. I legit thought nobody nobody cared. I was like, yeah, nobody wants to listen to me do all these dumb ideas anyway. And then it was people who kept hitting me up in private like, yo, bro, where's the podcast? Like, yo, we missed that shit. And then I was like, oh, oh, y'all actually... People actually care, yeah. Yeah, like my mom hit me up and was like, yo, why aren't you doing the podcast anymore? My dad was like, yo... I guess I said all that just to say the environment you grow up in and how people react to you is... Bro important 100 percent. i've got a point on that actually when you're talking about school it made me think of um my own schooling as well because i was brought up in a very black area uh lewisham catford like southeast black, yeah southeast uh but then i went to um secondary school more in like bromley kind of area uh and it was a very i mean predominantly white school as in I was one of five black boys in my year. Ooh. 
And when you're talking about, you know, this whole thing of your um, school environment um, shaping your ideas of self-love, being in that environment definitely shaped some of mine because, and this is why I'm so grateful to my parents and my upbringing because that kind of kept me rooted in my blackness. But being in that kind of school where you're one of five and you're like, not even together, you're just all of, there's one guy here, one guy in the next class, one, and you barely even see other black people in your school environment, inevitably changes your ideas of your own self-perception, like, and how you should be viewed by others. Because, for example, I mean, on the level of, um, I couldn't talk to my white, you know, uh, classmates about, the, like, the um, reason why I had uh, chicken in my ice cream tub in the, <laughs> in the bag, do you know what I mean? Like, or I had to, like, open that stuff carefully, like, because I knew that, oh, what's that smell? And it's like, no, it's just some chicken that we had last night for dinner that I'm having now for lunch. And that kind of stuff, I don't feel like would have been a problem if I wasn't in an environment that was predominantly white. And I feel like that is a small manifestation of this idea of self-love because, you know, this is my culture, this is where I'm from, this is what we eat. I should have no uh, shame in in opening my stuff at school because this is who I am. But I had this feeling where I had to, like, make myself, like, um, small so that people wouldn't kind of notice who I was as much. And it's like, bro, you're one of five black kids. People are obviously going to notice who you are. You might as well be yourself anyway. But that's what I tell myself if I was to go back. But at the time, it felt like, oh, you know, there was just a lack of people that I could relate to. And, okay, for example, you uh, mentioned girls. Like, everyone in the entire school, like, when they're showing pictures of pretty girls or whatever, they're like, oh, check out this one. All of them were white. All of them were white. And I feel like even that, I didn't really think about it at the time, but even that kind of thing, it's just like a reinforcement of an idea that my own, like, who I am isn't really being validated by anyone around me. And I feel like that feeds into this idea. And like I said, I'm very grateful for my parents and my family because they kind of kept me rooted in who I was at home. But when it came to that school, brother, it was like, it was just a different story. Uh, and I feel like I do sometimes question whether it has changed how I feel about myself or how I felt about myself. I feel like I, after I left, I sort of, um, I started to find who I was a bit more. But I do think about, you know, how that shaped me in terms of a person. I, I feel like you can go home and like you say, you could go home and have a really strong home life. Mm. But there's only so much you tell the family, mm. you know, because it's weird. You don't really want to bother them. And also, you, you know, nobody believes you, really. I mean, I don't know about your situation, but speaking for me... I wouldn't say so <clears> for me, but I get what you're saying. Yes, yeah, like, like, for example, I think one of the biggest things that I regret, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, is, you know... I had a lot of, I, I was good at a lot of stuff, especially writing, poetry, uh, music. I was really good at rapping. I used to make music, perform. But 
you know, you, you sometimes I would do it and I would look to certain adults who were meant to, this is boarding school, I'd look to certain adults who were meant to, like, make me feel better about myself. I'd look to them and they would just look so unbothered. Mm. And then that would make me feel like, oh, well, I shouldn't do this again because clearly I'm not meant to do this. Mm. And eventually I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to close up my emotions. I'm going to bottle them in and I'm going to go wild. Mm. And if anybody tries to come in my way, I'm going to destroy you. That's mm. That was my mindset. It, like that mindset has reduced over the last few years. And Would you say at uni you had that mindset? When I started uni, I had that mindset. Mm. I was bullish as fuck. Like sixth form, if you ask people about me in sixth form, I was just neg- anti-social, but I was... Because I'm a socialite. I love to socialize, but mm. you couldn't fuck with me, man. I'll fight anybody. But it was more of a defense mechanism because I was like, so y'all are trying to break me. You're actually trying to break me. You, I feel uni, you're right. Uni did change that. And it is weird because I have a lot of white friends now. Mm. And often the conversations about race and those conversations hit me different because I personally, I always feel like it was the black people I grew up around who made me hate myself. It was the white people in uni who made me love myself more. So, you know, that kind of, it's always tricky for me. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> that's tough because it, it kind of sets up this, um, I don't know if it's, uh, skewed but like it kind of is a it's a very different perception of of yourself because obviously as a black guy like you and I've been through this uh, trauma with your own community um, uh, to then be embraced by a different community I feel like is a bit of a head fuck it's confusing yeah 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 it feels like because the thing is, I still love my black brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. It's just there were specific brothers and sisters I couldn't love. Mm. Like for a while, I hated Nigerians. Mm. I think there's a lot of Nigerians who hate Nigerians. Not because we're bad people, just because the shared experiences make us hate each other. Because we're just like, this is this is messy. Like, mm. this is toxic as fuck. And we don't want to... And do you feel like unraveling that is? Do you feel like it's so tangled up that it's not worth unraveling? So you just best to leave it alone, or is it a thing where you are trying to untangle it, but it's just long? I feel it's more the second. Okay. Like I'm, I've been on the process of, I've been on the process of unraveling for maybe the last twelve years, where I've been, I started by being bullish as fuck and not allowing anything new in just so I could figure out exactly what I have, which was probably sixth form, probably why I became Muslim. Because mm. I was Muslim for like three, four years. Like, that was rebellion. I was like, I'm rebelling against your Christian idea that, oh, this God is going to come and kill me for worship for worshipping a different way. And I feel like it's been a journey since then. The journey is going well now. I mean, we're on the podcast. You're black. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm joking but you know the, the, I feel like healing myself <laughs> but I feel like healing myself has helped me heal my family in lots of ways it's helped me heal my friends because my spirit is, is here to heal my spirit is not here to 
harm people. It's here to heal people. But when you're hurt, you hurt other people, you know? But the more I look at other people and see how much harm I might cause to them because of my harm, my problems, mm. or the more I see how much good I can cause to them because of I'm, I'm happy, mm. it motivates me to want to untangle the rope a bit more. Mm. So it's a long process, but I enjoy it now. Mm. Which is, I guess, I'm slowly reaching a point where I feel like I look at myself in the mirror, scruffy hair, nice haircut, blonde hair, whatever the fuck is... a nice trim now, though. Yeah, safe, man. I decided to start doing good trims. Tell the listeners, man. Let them know if the trim's loud. (laughs) Trim's looking loud now. Safe, man. Mm. But, But I feel like all these things, it doesn't matter how I look sometimes. I look at myself and I'm like, you know what? I would say to 12-year-old me, we did well. Mm. You know, it was hard, but fuck it. We're here now. Mm. That's good, though. Like, That's why like, I feel like when you ask me the question, would I look back at my 18-year-old self and say I was happy with that? It's like, I honestly feel that with age and time comes the ability to untangle because this whole idea of, like, you know, uh, childhood experiences, these are all things that, you haven't really got much control over. So I feel like when you become an adult and get to a place where you can start to control certain efforts of your life, I feel like that's when you can start to untangle and start to look at who you are and be like, okay, cool. This part, this part, this part are all things that I want to try and change or I want to try and unlearn or maybe learn. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like... That's why I feel that to to look back and say, oh, I was happy with myself then is difficult to do because, like I said at the top of the podcast, like it's a continual process of just trying to untangle things and maybe retie things that can help towards making you a more complete human being. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or your, or whatever we individually view as a complete human being because you might see for example um one thing as being you know i reached the point i might see a different thing as you know as that same thing so it's just about um to avoid the cliche it's a very it's a very journey-based kind of thing do you know what i mean are you one of those people who believe more in enjoying the journey than the final destination a hundred percent because everything that listen bro Everything that I've thought I really, really, really wanted when I've got it, it's never felt like how I imagined it. Like, I was even, I was saying this the other day to my dad. I was like, I think we were watching the Chelsea City game, the cup game. I was there live, by the way. Oh, you were there? I saw the whole game. Not the whole thing. I snuck in. I was working. Why don't you tell um, Kepa to get off the pitch? I tried, but it was at the city. I was at the city side, uh, and I didn't want to see, show you, that I was. You, you know, could have changed the whole course of the events. I could have just jumped on the pitch, lost lit- my job, literally kicked him off. Literally. Yeah, um, typical Tottenham banter. <laughs> alas, um, your dad. <laughs> yeah, so we were watching it, and when I saw City uh, lift the trophy, all the lights, all the confetti, I was like, "Yeah, yeah great!" But then you realise, like, all this controversy, all this talking to the press, all this training, all these players, who's going, who's, and then it leads to this point where you win something, you win the thing that you're working towards, and it's just like, all right, next day. What now? 
And it's like, you could see on Pep's face that he was in this place of, okay, yeah, you know, this is great, but there's more to think about, or the, or the next thing is happening, you know? And I feel like, don't get me wrong, saying goals is vital, but there's a sense to which achieving those goals has a certain hollowness to it after that immediate feeling of euphoria. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially if you're a person that is constantly uh, seeking betterment, sometimes at their own detriment because, you know, I look at Pep, for example, as a person who's constantly trying to win stuff, always trying to do better, do more. So he'll he'll win the Carling Cup, but he'll still be looking for what's next. Do you get what I'm saying? And the thing is, when I was um, when I was planning this episode, by the way, this episode wasn't very planned. Mm. It was just because uh, when me and Zach get together, it's sporadic. Mm-hmm. This Always. is why the podcast was invented because it's <laughs> moments like this. But I was thinking of when I was thinking of reinventing yourself. I was thinking of the idea of kill Noah. Kill Noah. And that comes from the you know the J. The, don't worry, don't panic, guys. Don't panic. Is cool. <laughs> it comes from the Jay Z song "Kill Jay Z" mm. from ah, the yes. 444 yeah, album, yeah. and that song is basically Jay Z ba- talking about how, in order to become the person he needed to be for, like, in order to evolve to the man he needed to be, he first had to kill his ego. Mm. He first had to kill the old Jay Z. Yeah, you know, so that he can be he could be the person he can look at and love. And in a way, that's like the way I look at things. Like I've gotten to this point now. I look back and there's a lot of hurt, but there's also a lot of good times. Mm. The hurt was, is gotten, like I've gotten mostly over it. Probably need some therapy, but everybody does. We're here for you. <laughs> but it's, it's just the feeling of there's greatness to come mm. for everyone. Yeah. If you if you push yourself enough, you can achieve a lot in this world. Like, but at the same time, we have to be careful to understand that in the in the pursuit of this greatness, you don't want to lose yourself. Mm. You don't want to become somebody you look at and you hate. Mm. So at the moment, I'm just trying to look at myself in the mirror and smile. I'm I'm happy to. Even when I have bad days, even when I'm in the I, hospital. I feel that. I feel that 100%. Yeah. Even, even when you're lying on the bed looking like you're about to exit yeah. this world. Yeah. I'm still like, just, you're, I'm you're still, still making jokes. Exactly. And I feel like that is, maybe that's what it's about, actually. You know, like, at the point, like, at the brink, you're still able to smile, like, you know what I mean? Or... It's a weird one, but shit. What was I gonna say? Deep. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a great train of thought, and I just lost it, and it's it's terrible. One the the biggest medicine I've learned to use since I was a kid is laughter. So now I'm obsessed with making people laugh. Not like making jokes. People always say, oh, tell a joke. Yeah, Shut up. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not going to just like, knock, knock. Yeah, yeah, Who's yeah. there? Shut up, man. Yeah. It's like, what? Well, moments. Yeah. Like, even when I'm in the hospital, I found it funny. Yeah. And I wanted everybody to laugh. Uh-huh. So after all the pain was gone, I put on Instagram, if, in case I, in case this is serious, fuck my ups. 
you know, fuck milk. Uh, Odd future, Wolfgang killed them all. Free six night. Just stupid shit because I just want you to always be like, oh, okay. Like, if I make you laugh, mm. I make myself happy. Yeah. And if I make myself happy, I love myself more. So you're being funny because you're selfish. We're all selfish, man. <laughs> but it's not, I don't think it should be called selfish. It should be called code, we're codependent on each other. That's true. That's true. Because it gives you a good feeling. Like, you make someone laugh. Not only are you watching them laugh and being happy because, yeah, you know, of course that. But at the same time, you're you're happy because they're happy. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. So it's like it's a it's an exchange of of like of energy of energy and happiness. And I think, like you said, laugh is one of those things that it's always worth it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's always worth it because it doesn't seem to be have any kind of there's no loser unless you're making a joke about someone that is hilarious, but the person that is not is not there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But at the same time. Um, yeah, like, I've got a very dark sense of humour. Same. And I love it. And I've come to embrace it because it's like, that, that's when you have the most gold because it's like, at the brink of, like, despair, it's the most funny time in the world because the f- there's, there's, <laughs> that's when you can really see, like, clearly, do you know what I mean? Like, that, that's funny. Like, and I just like, I like that kind of stuff, like, I like that kind of humor. So, yeah, I'm glad that you're making jokes on your... Can I say deathbed? Don't say deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, <told> you... <laughs> I told you I have a dark sense of humor, man. Oh, you should have let me in here. <laughs> you should not have let me in here. But there's a lot of people who they might feel like they're not good enough. So they take the shit. So they take the shit. Yeah, word. They might feel like they're not special. They might feel like other people are better than them. Yeah. Listen, man, everybody has problems. Mm. Everybody has been through some shit. You're, you're better than you think you are. Yeah, I definitely second that. I believe we're all, you know, I believe in the idea that we're all God. Mm. Every human being is a part of God. Mm. And if you think of yourself an ex- as, as an extension of God... Mm why would you look at another person and be like, he's a God and I'm a yeah. slave or, yeah, yeah. you know? But it's because of what we prioritise. Like, we're kind of in a place where the aesthetic and the look of things is becoming more important than the actual thing itself or the actual... The actual person. Person. And I feel like in that kind of world, um, it's very easy to see someone else as a God or uh, see them in this light of better than you because of things that, when it really comes to it, mean nothing. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like that's where, to make this nice and circular, we can go back to the young people and the kids in terms of how they view themselves. Because, you know, if you're like, um, if you're a young, I don't know, however old, uh, 14, 15 year old, and you spend a lot of time on Instagram, for example, just scrolling, you know, and you're seeing all these people doing stuff that looks amazing, then you're just sat there in your room, then you're inevitably going to feel like they're better than you or, like, you're you're at a lower stage than they are because they're, you know, at this place of happiness or this place of, you know, everything's fine and whatnot. And actually, like, we're all, like, we're all that, do you know what I mean? Like, all of us have, like you said before 
have that part of God in us. Yeah. So I feel like being able to realize and harness that can only be more beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Word. <laughs> uh, Zach, would you like to shout out any socials? Um, any any work coming up soon? Yeah, I've got some some stuff working on actually. Um, I've got a new EP coming around June. Um, doing the recording for it this month, uh, finishing off that. Um, and then a couple of projects that I've produced coming out throughout the year. So yeah, like we're um, we're moving. And I'll put your social media obviously when we publish this. At MeloZ, Instagram, Twitter. Stream my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Stream my shit as well, man. <laughs> this has been another episode of Iron Voices. Um, your host Noah Adelia. Thank you. Love. The song of the week is produced by our guest Melo Z, featuring Van Jess, Cinematic Lover. Smile.